What were you going to say, Ledman? Oh, should I blur myself? I don't know. No, no, no. You look lovely. Uh, before we get into um, the, the the Phillies, which I know we wanted to talk about, let's quickly hit on, we are in the, the heat of free agency, my friends. In fact, four o'clock, it is now open season officially with the legal tampering period. So Eagles have been doing some moving and shaking. I know there's some some uh, clenched butt cheeks out there, but uh, what, do, what are you guys' uh, perspective on what the birds have done or haven't done so far? I have not paid as much attention as you. I know uh, Hargrave signed with uh, San Francisco yesterday. That's a big loss. Obviously, you know, he went to your main potential rival if they get a quarterback. Um, interestingly enough, the 49ers also went out there and signed Sam Darnold. Uh, you know, is Shanahan the quarterback whisperer there? Um, so that was one. Um, I know Darius Slay has been given his release. Right. So that's interesting. And then they went and signed the other cornerback who you thought was on his way out. Uh, so they've got him. Uh, uh, who else am I missing? I know they're a safety. They, they lost a linebacker. They lost the safety. Sam Mahler is probably going to walk. Right. Yeah. Sam Mahler is um, probably. But, yeah. They brought back Boston Scott. So that's worth two years. Giants. Um, Love they, Boston Scott. Best man. They brought in Richard Penny. Uh, for the, the the cheapest contract, but he'll play five games before he gets hurt, as I was saying in a text chain yesterday. Uh, he's proven that he is he is great when he's on the field, but he cannot stay healthy. Um, but the birds don't put a focus on the run game. So that that, you know, their run game is Jalen. And then they I think they have big plans for uh Kenneth Gainwell as well. So they'll be that. And then they lost Marcus Epps, uh, underrated safety. Um to the where did he go? Uh, Epps went to the Raiders, I believe. And Edwards went to the Bears, if I'm yeah. correct. Yeah, I like that that signing for the Bears, man. I mean, it. I think his money was only like six or eight million a, a season, which is which is good for a guy who produces like T.J. Edwards. But look, I mean, the reality is, we went into this season knowing that this was an anomaly. We're playing off of Jalen Hurts' rookie contract. That's going to change by you know about fifty million dollars. Um, and then, you know, you, you have this team together so you can throw more money at more people and there was no way. And, and, and I think we have to step back and look at these moves and realize that we may, I think the way that we're setting up is that if things all fall into place, we could find ourselves back in the Super Bowl next year. But I think the more likely scenario is that we're going to be taking a step back because, what I think Howie is trying to do is keep us competitive, keep us relevant. But again, in 2024, we're we're gonna have we have already have a ton of picks. We already got two compensatory picks. We're gonna get two more in the third round, the fourth round. We are gonna like have a ton of picks in what is looking like a pretty uh pretty decent draft in 2024. So I've heard. So I think that's part of what's going on here. And I think you have to look at these picks. Howie you has also you also have to look back at the previous Super Bowl champion, the L.A. Rams. What happened to them this past year? They went the opposite way, and you see what happened to that team. And you don't want that to happen with the Eagles. You want to make yeah, some Stafford smart. was hurt from training camp on, though, I think, wasn't he? So like, that, I'm not blaming it all on Stafford. but Yeah. They won, what, 5-11 this year, though? I mean, you know, you don't want the Eagles to be taking a step backwards in a division, might I add, that's getting better. 
I, but I think one of the differences, in, and I think this is where Howie, I agree. I, I I don't like losing Hargraves, but I also don't think you can afford to sign him at twenty million a year for thirty thirty. You can't player. give him eighty million dollars. You just can't do it. You can't do it, right? And I say and I say the same thing with Slay. I hate to see him go because I think he's still a good player, but I'm not guaranteeing him, which is what he wanted, three years at whatever salary he wanted. And the Eagles approached him earlier about a uh, you know uh, you know renegotiating his salary because it was such a big hit this year, and he said he didn't want to do that initially. So you know what what were they left to do? You're not going to pay the guy twenty three million dollars a year, so you had to do something. And Howie has historically, you know, look at Lane Johnson, look at Jason Peters. Like, look at uh, Brandon Brooks. Like, these guys were all guys who historically have taken pay cuts. And and what they do is they take the money on the front end so it doesn't hit the the uh, Eagles cap. So um, they, they take more money up front, and then it's dispersed over a number of years. Mm-hmm. This is what's happening. And from my understanding is Slay wanted, like, kind of no parts of this. He wanted three years guaranteed. And at 32 years old, you know, I'd rather have Bradbury, to be honest with you. He's, he's 30. He's two years younger. He, I, I think he is pretty close to Slay. I mean, he may be at a half notch below him, but over the like the likelihood of the next two, three years, I think Bradbury is going to be every bit the player Slay was. Well, and also you have to look at, I mean, what did what did Bradbury come back at? Like 12.6 or 12.8 or something it. like that? You look at the yeah. market of the cornerbacks that have already signed. Cornerbacks that are already assigned are in the $13 million a year range. If Slay thinks he's going to get 17, 18, 19 million dollars a year, I mean, you just save yourself five million dollars a year and got two years younger because Bradbury's two years younger than Slay. Yep. I feel like that's kind of a no brainer. Um, is Slay the guy, though? Is Slay like a sauce gardener where you could just put him on an island and go forget about it? Because Eagles played a lot of zone this year. Yeah. And yeah. I think the zone keep everything in front has made the cornerbacks definitely um, look pretty good. They didn't give up a lot of home runs. Slay's statistics were actually really good this year. But is he a guy that you could go stick on an island and pay $18 million like a sauce gardener? Is is he is is that are they the same player? And I'm gonna say no. I don't think you stick Slay out on on an island. He did draw the number one most of the time. I thought he did a really nice job, but I don't think at 32 years old, he's that guy. Yep. You can't hamstring your future. And that's what how I think that's one of the things how he learned from 17 was he signed a lot of those guys to nostalgic contracts and extensions yeah, 100%. and 100%. Right. And so he I think he's learned like I have to make these tough decisions and they stink. But in doing so, look, like we never the, it was a luxury. The defensive backs that we had last year between Slay and Bradbury and um, uh, uh, Garner Johnson and then Epps was a homegrown guy. But, like, it was a luxury to have three studs. I mean, all pros, arguably, three out of four your DVs, could, you could argue were all pros. So if they are able to bring Chauncey back, which all indications from what I'm hearing it are that they're, they're working fine. towards bringing him back, and he fits the mold. He's young. He's 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 on the up and he played really great and he seems to be the personality um, that I think uh, really does well in this type of city and, and he's proven he he's versatile too. So if you can bring Here's a question though, who who the, the 
cornerback they drafted a couple years ago, and the name escapes me. I think he was what a fifth round draft pick. Yeah, because he's Zach South Carolina, Zach McPherson, South Carolina guy, right? A and uh, Texas A right. and M or Texas Tech, I think. Yeah. I mean, what has happened with him? Has he progressed at all to the point to being a contributor? Because I mean, at this point, we should know something. Yeah, I, you know, he's he. You hear he he's one of these guys I hear about in training camp a lot, and then yeah. and he's a he's a really good special teamer. Yeah. I don't know that he's a starter, starting caliber defensive back. I think that the Eagles are going to be in an interesting position because, and again, you know, we're still uh, more than a month away from the draft, and so I think I think Fletcher Cox is going to end up coming back uh, at a reduced rate. What, I think what's the number? We if you had to guess the number. Oh, man, such a good question. Um, yeah, eight, I eight to ten. That's exactly where I was. Eight to ten. One year, eight to ten. You know, um, BG took six to come back. That's crazy. You know, for the production he had, and um, I think Charlie, uh, all right, Chauncey comes back as well. I think, um, and then I think either they are in a position to draft a defensive back either with their top 10 pick or trade back a little bit, get some more assets and still be able to, it's a, it's a deep draft for defensive backs, but Howie has also not, uh, or the Eagles have not drafted a defensive back in the first round since Lito Shepard. Right. So wow, that's a long time ago. Yeah. So you got to think, I mean, are they going to go defensive line and then go cornerback? I think that these, these three picks he has to hit on. They they have to, and as much as I love Jordan Davis, he needs to draft someone with that first round pick who is going to be a starter and an impact player. You took the words out of my mouth though. And Levman, I think you were probably headed there is that how he's done great through free agency and picking up some of these bid, bid players, picking up, you know, Sue and, um, the other defensive lineman name is escaping me right now, but picking those guys up off the street in the middle of the season, like those guys made a huge difference. Howie's done a phenomenal job in primarily managing the cap, picking up the free agents, managing these, these in-season, you know, practice squad guys, but he had, does not have a fantastic track record in the draft. And He's gotten lucky a couple times where if you look at like the, the Mylotta draft, Mylotta being such a huge success completely makes you forget about what a bust Dillard has been. Mm-hmm. So his track record is not as great. And I want to make sure that when we go into this year's draft, he's not trying to prove to everybody that he's the smartest guy in the room by like picking Jalen Rager when nobody else would pick Jalen Rager. I would rather see him stick to the big schools, stick to the plan. If you get a guy that can contribute and be a starter or play significant minutes, especially as a rookie, those are wins, in my opinion, because you've got to be able to go backfill defensive line rotation. You've got to get a cornerback that can run with some people. You've got to be able to get some secondary depth in in your safety positions. Um, I don't want to see Quez next year. I love Quez. Uh, skinny Batman, but that Batman, I'm not flashing the signal for him anymore. We got to move on. We got to <laughs> get somebody else in there. How about we get Batman that can catch? What do you think about that? That's that's what I want to see next year. So we lost you, Rich. Rich got we so fired up, he took himself off camera. What What about your Georgia guys? You know, from uh, last year, uh, 
is Nicobe Dean going to be your starter this year or what? Yeah, Nicobe Dean's going to be a starter. They may sign a guy like Bobby Wagner um, to help soften the blow because they lost Kaiser White um, yeah. and TJ Edwards. So they're going to need some linebacker help. You know, people uh, don't want to hear this, but, you know, remember they drafted, um, is it uh, Taylor? Michael Taylor is that his name. I forget his first name. And he played a little bit. He was the kid from Colorado who uh, like, you know, who, who didn't play high school ball because of religious um, beliefs. And he, um, you know, he started off slow and then he showed something the second year and he got hurt and then he didn't get any time last year. But, you know, I could see them signing someone like a Bobby Wagner type. I, I would love for them to sign Bobby Wagner if they get him at a reasonable price. Um, but got to be you know, up there. He's got to be up there, though, about 33. Yeah, but for, for, for a year, I think, you know, and, and from his perspective, it would be trying to help get a shot at a championship again. Um, you know, it, it, it's interesting because I, as much as we do, and, and you guys are right, I mean, uh, as far as Howie's drafting ability, as much as we do criticize it, I think it, it has improved. You know, I think Devontae Smith um, with that pick, um, certainly Dick Dickerson, Land Dickerson getting that pick. Um, and then this past year, you know, the jury's still out, obviously, in Jordan Davis. Um, we'll see what he becomes, but it looks like Jurgens is going to be a fixture on the offensive line. Um, and then we have Nicobe Dean. So, you know, certainly the jury's still out. I do think that now that he has seen seems to be like steering away from, like Rich said, the smartest guy in the room. I'm going to go look at TCU instead of looking at the SEC. Right. Somewhere in that front office, philosophically, it looks like they've, they've switched. And I think they, they, that's been beneficial to them. Um, again, I'm not saying the SEC is the only conference, but, um, you know, it, it's a good conference. And um, I do think Jordan Davis, he needs to step up this year. And they need to give him the opportunity to step up and be a, be a starter. But, um, you know, with this team, their draft history, it is – on the lines. And so, you know, as much as we talk about cornerback and that being a need, and and I'd love to see them take a corner early because how long, man, I mean, like how long we've been talking about like the Steven Nelsons of the world and like Carrie Williams. And like, it seems like we've been talking about filling a second cornerback slot forever. Um, you know, Jalen Mills. I mean, it, we've struggled so much. And this is the first. Asimwa. Remember Asimwa? Right. This is the first time. You know, and then I'll say that. And then the other part I just want to say is I do think, though, how he does have an ability to find like unearth this undraft, these undrafted guys, these these guys who get cut, like whether it's Marcus Epps or uh, TJ Edwards, um, you know, some of the guys along the offensive line, you, you could say the same thing for Boston Scott. Um, you know, he does have this strange ability to find some of that talent. So um you know, maybe, maybe we can just put someone else in charge of the draft and let him, uh, put him in charge of finding the, uh, like the hidden rocks. So, you know, do you remember that comic situation? What was it a couple of years ago when, uh, how he was jumping up and down in the draft room and he was trying to forget who he was trying to high five and the guy wanted nothing to do with it. Oh, the fisting, the legendary fisting fisting Um, incident. Yeah. Tom Tom Donovan. Yeah. Uh, and that was over Milton Williams, I think, was uh, who's who's now like projected to, to be a starter, right? So um, maybe he was right. It's it's crazy. I do think uh, you guys think Chauncey's coming back. I hope so. I think so. I mean, they need a safety. Yeah. Um, 
And it's been pretty evident from what I've seen on social media that they are attempting to work it out. So, yeah. yeah. Sometimes what we, we think about when we look at our own team, we, we do tend to look at what the other teams in the division are doing. And God knows what the commanders are doing. I mean, uh, Hanke or Heineke is headed down to Atlanta. So he, yep. <laughs> so you've got, uh, what is his name? Sam, uh, what is it? Fifth round draft pick Sam Howland. Oh, Sam Howell, yeah. So like five North starts. Carolina legend. North Carolina legend. And yeah. Obviously, he's Eric, Eric Bieniemy's, uh, you know, <laughs> quarterback. And then the Giants give fifty million dollars to Davy Jones or Dan, Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones, yep. And uh, uh, Stefan Gilmore, and then they release Zeke today. Yeah. So that's a lot. Oh, they man. did. Yeah, they released Zeke today. So I did not know that. He and Miles Sanders out there uh, looking for work. Well, maybe we could bring him in as a third down back there. That's right. That's right. Um, I love man, Before you go, I I, I just still want to have six gears. minutes. I've got six minutes. No, no, that's why I want to switch gears real quick because I know oh, okay. you are you love the Philadelphia 76ers, and how can we not yeah. love that they are playing basketball right now? Yeah, yeah, they. Uh, I guess they have a big one tonight against Cleveland, right? So they're on. Started on a three-game road trip uh, this, uh, well, yeah, on uh, tonight. So uh, they're playing well, you know. This is a big game. I mean, this is a conference game, so it's important tonight. Um, gotta gotta be loving Joel, Joel, um, and um, you know Maxie's playing well, and uh, you know you, you're starting to see the team come together. So. I'd like to see a little bit more effort and consistency in the first half so we don't have to dig these games out at the very, very end. Um, but yeah, for sure, they've been playing well. What do you, I, yeah. So, where do you, where, do, I, I think we a few months ago talked about where we thought their ceiling was, where you thought they would end up. Have you changed your, have either one of you guys changed your stance on that? Where, where do you, what do you see the Sixers doing in the playoffs at this point? I, so uh, the last several weeks I've been saying, I think they're going to end up in the number two seed. And I think they're tied in the loss column with Boston. Now Boston's starting to struggle, which is interesting. They did um, have that. They had that nice win against Milwaukee. And yeah. I think, and Memphis. So. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think, I just don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm tempted to say Eastern conference finals, but I I'm still struck. I still, I think it's going to be a heartbreaker second heartbreaking second round loss to and i hate to say this that rivals the triple doink of hawaii what what about you guys i think this team has got potential to get to the eastern conference finals and probably play boston again like to see them beat milwaukee i think they can beat milwaukee um it's it's boston that that seems to be the achilles heel and guys i have to sign off but what (laughs) i'm what I am going to do, I am so upset about missing the Phillies talk. What I am going to do is I'm going to be working with a student back here, sort of monitoring the show, so I'll know when it's getting close in time for the finish. Okay? Yeah. And so, you're just going to leave the student and talk to us. We love it. Man. No, 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 no. I, I can't do just that. Kidding. But I, but what I'm saying is I will keep my headphones on so I'm following you guys. Or I'm going to go like this. You want me to just text you? Why don't I text you when we're no, so you're no. so right, now you don't see me. You do you. Look, we do and see I'm gonna you. do um, the children are the future. 
teach them well and let them lead the way. That's right. Rich, what are you thinking, man, for the Sixers? Like, I, I get the sense that you're feeling a little giddier, man. Like, you're, you're a little more optimistic than maybe if you... I, I am. I'm, I'm feeling a little bit more optimistic. I think Lev and I were both in the camp that they could make it to the finals, but I was in the camp that there was no shot in hell that they would win. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's where I have to separate where my head and my heart are. Yeah. Because obviously my heart is that they're going to go all the way, but my head is telling me what I've seen, the way I've seen Harden and Joel play together um, in the time that's elapsed from the first time we talked about this to now gives me hope that I think they could continue to make some noise. I think they can get to the finals. Even my head is, even my heart is struggling with, can they get past that? You know, I know I want them to, but that's, I'm kind of in the same spot. Like, I think they can get to the final. I don't know if they've got the juice to get over the hump. Mm-hmm. Every time I see Tatum score a basket, though, it just makes me upset because we ended up with Markel Fultz and Danny yep. Ainge is laughing somewhere and it just doesn't sit well with me. I may need a second just to get <laughs> done again, but understand. Uh, I don't know. That's the long answer. The short answer is I think they can get to the finals. It's still nothing and win. You know what what hurts me more than Jason Tatum? Take a guess. I mean, there's so many different heartbreakers. <laughs> Just tell me. <laughs> uh, Mikhail Bridges, because we drafted the man. His mother worked for our organization. We had him in our in our grasp. We drafted him. And you want to talk about, and I was thinking about this like last week. You want to talk about a player who... I mean, probably would have changed the course of everything, you know, um, Ben Simmons inability to shoot from outside wouldn't, would have been irrelevant if you have Mikel Bridges out on that floor. Um, like to me, I just, oh man, that one is a crusher, but you know, you also have to ask, Hey, if we had Mikel Bridges, would we have ended up with Maxie? Like, you know, you can always play that speculative game, but, um, I think about how how well he is playing and he fills such a position um, of need for us. Um, man, and he does so many things well, both both sides of the court. Have you guys ever assembled, you know, a worst draft picks of all time list? <laughs> no, I think we should. I think Christian Velp would be on that list, though. I mean, we we've touched on a few of them already today. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Who was uh, Sean Bradley? Oh, Sean Bradley. Putrid. Do you remember Um, a guy named Kenny Payne? Oh, I do. Yeah. I think he coaches at Louisville now, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah. Not just Sixers, though. I'm like talking about all the sports. We talked about some absolute horrible first round picks for the Eagles. Um, You know, you can go to the Phillies. You could go to the Flyers. Yeah. Dude, that text you sent me about what I think you sent it to me, right? Like the it was like five first round picks, basically one from each team, and I think maybe two from the Sixers or or Phillies. I can't remember. I think so. Brutal. Um, let me ask you another Sixers question before we move on to um spring spring training. Um what what is different about this team now as opposed to four weeks ago and i want to throw out two two like it's a it's a double it's a two-parter so is it that they are learning to play together 
Um, is it something you think Doc Rivers has changed? Is it the reinsertion of Maxi into the starting lineup? Like what what do you think? Like what has this team done that they they weren't doing earlier in the year that they look so good now? There we go. We have another guest host. I'm pretty sure we're breaking some kind of privacy laws. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kaden just wanted to say a quick hello, okay? Ah, uh, well, we're we're happy to have you. Okay, so he's going to, we're, we're doing a grammar lesson. You stay over there, don't show your face. And so he's going to watch you guys while you're doing it, but we're going to, again, shut our TVs off. Okay. Those are our special NBA correspondents. That's um, right, that's right. <laughs> Yeah, I, frankly, I have not probably watched as much Sixers as as you have. Do I do that. think that Maxi coming back obviously helps. I think that health is a really we do. big part of why they're being more successful now. I think I was skeptical that they could both be healthy at this point in the season, and they both are relative. You know, when I say both, I mean Harden and and Embiid. They're yep. both relatively healthy. Um, it's the NBA. You're going to get banged up, you know, a little bit. I'm sure nobody feels 100%, but that they're both relatively healthy at this point in the season. Um, I I hate to give Doc Rivers any credit because I'm not sure that there's anything that he's doing that significantly different than where we were the last two or three years. But I also don't know enough about the X's and O's to be able to see it as a casual observer on TV. So I'm not going to give him credit, but I'm also going to say that there isn't some sort of contributing factor. Uh, it's just not over. Like, I, I don't know that there's anything different that they're doing. Their offense looks the same. Um, the way they play defense looks very similar. But for me, health might be the biggest thing. Uh, I don't know that we saw Harden at any level above like 80 percent last year right 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 and so even if he's at 93 percent this year that's a huge improvement and if they can both stay relatively healthy into the playoffs you know it's it, and you have maxi who's now at full health and kind of back and recovered you got mm -hmm. three guys that any team in the nba would take in rp so yeah. The rotational pieces, I think Melton has played a little bit better than I expected him to. Um, and then the other guys just need to do their role. And Tobias being making up his mind, like, I'm going to play defense this year. And last year, too, like, I felt like he was like, okay, I know my role. I've got to be a better defender. From when he first got here, from where he is now, I feel like his defense has really, has really come up. But, I mean, you tell me, you, you probably watch much more Sixers than I do. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, I watch them and, and what's interesting to me is I'm, I, I want to follow up on something you said about you look at this team and they have won close games. They've won blowouts. They have been fallen way far behind and come back. They have jumped out the big leads. Other teams have fought back. And then they come, they figure, uh, find another gear. And it, it's it's really, I wonder if at the end of the day, it is maybe that Embiid and Harden are getting used to playing with one another. I do think Embiid has raised his his game and, and Harden 
you know, leading the league in assists and, and just really um, being a, a facilitator and a distributor. Um, he's also shooting 40% from the three, which he's hitting his threes this year. Yeah. yeah. And I couldn't believe that, that, that this is the highest percentage he's ever shot in his career was 40%. And I'm a little surprised it wasn't a little bit higher than that, to be honest with you, but he's hitting his threes. I think also that doc, it seems that doc has figured out the second unit and that rotation just a little bit. And it seems like now they have with, um, McDaniel being added, they have a little bit more athleticism in that second unit. Uh, and, and Matisse was athletic, but he, he didn't give you anything really on the offensive side of the basketball. And I think, um, McDaniel does give you that. And I think with him and Reed, you have a couple of guys who are long athletic and get out and run. Um, and you put them with either Maxie or Melton, um, and even Harden who they, all those guys can get out and run. Um, it changes that, that dynamic of that second unit. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's a mystery because I, like I said, I've seen, you know, what was it last week of the Sixers? I forget who they played, but they put up like 143 points or something like that. Um, they want to shoot out, you know, I'm like, what was the last time the Sixers scored 143 points and the other team put up like 130 something. And so like, that was weird. Um, I think they're starting to believe in themselves too. I'm, I, I don't have that feeling yet. Like we had, um, and granted, I did not have this with the Phillies until the playoffs started. But I think with the Eagles, I did have that feeling that like this, this felt to me like they were the best team in the league and they were always going to find a way to win. I don't have that feeling with the Sixers. I don't trust it yet, but I, I, it is clear to me they are a different team than they were two months ago. I agree with that. 100%. And the NBA is kind of just a game of runs anyway. In, in the NBA, being down 12 points is it's not a huge deal, right? right. Like, yeah. You see that all the time. Oh, they were down by 18 and a half. They came back one, one by 12. Yeah. Um, the NBA I just kind of swings like that, especially in a regular season. There's lapses in, in playing time. There's lapses in concentration. There's lapses in effort. I, I, I'll be curious to see when everything is amped up 100%. Their playoff basketball is at a much different speed than regular season basketball. I'll be curious to see um, how they fare. I think they have a fighting shot for sure. Yeah, yeah. And and I think it's going to be exciting basketball. To me, even though I say second round, it no longer feels like a foregone conclusion that that's as far as they can go. I think the sky's the limit. And I look at the West and I just, I don't know. I mean, none of those teams you know, on paper, the Suns look awesome. Um, I think that they still need to put it together, but, but none of those teams really like, you know, Denver and New Orleans and, and um, like the King, like what teams scare, like, I, I, I don't even know what teams scare me out West right now. What, what a switch though, because 10 years ago, there wasn't a team in the East that you were worried about. Right. Now, right now the east is really pretty strong do you think I, I have one more question for you do you think there's any do you think joel's maturity has anything to do with their level of success great question um yeah i i think and that's not a leading question like yeah, some of yeah, his yeah. antics i'm here for it i love it his personality that yeah. he's playful that he's joel troel I love yeah. I love that he's trolling people, but I feel like 
maybe it was a little bit of a leading question. I was curious whether you thought that was at the forefront this year. Yeah. Well, sorry. I just thought about one other thing. A Golden State is a team that I am fearful of because Steph Curry is a generational talent and that team is loaded and experienced in everything. So that would be the team I would be afraid of. Um, but Joel, yeah, you know, I think Joel has, has his game has seemed it seems to me like he's a little less concerned with the personal accolades from maybe like from maybe this all-star game onward. It seems like we're getting a bit of a different player to me. I love his antics. I love his on court, all that bravada that he brings to the, to the table. But again, I want my guys to, I want my players to just focus on winning, man. I don't, yeah. I don't want them to worry about the accolades and, 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 uh, and, and maybe it is maturity for Joel, you know, maybe because it, I feel like he's, he's actually evolved this year, you know, from where he was in say December to where he is now to me feel like different places. So I think that there is some maturing going on. Um, and maybe he also senses like, maybe there's like a sense internally with that team, like everything we've talked about guys like this, maybe this is it. Like maybe we do have a team that is capable of this and maybe they're trying to uh, minimize any, you know, all the yeah. stuff with Harden and his free agency and his returnees, like all that stuff. You haven't heard anything in the last several weeks about you know, everything. The focus for the Sixers, everything has been on court, you know? Do you credit that to Doc? Um. Yeah, I think you have to give some credit to Doc. I mean, I'm not a I'm not a Doc fan. Um, I think you know how I feel about that, but I I I think he deserves Barry's rolling over right now. Yeah, yeah. I think he deserves some of that, some of that credit. Um and it could also be just like the players, you know, deciding like, hey, we we gotta, you know, this is all you know, like remember the Eagles run in 17 when it was like we all we got, we all we need. And yeah. I wonder if there's like a little bit of that mentality now with the Sixers going on. So. I like it. I I definitely agree with what you said. Where in '17, I felt like if the Eagles were behind, they were just going to figure it out. I just kind of felt like it was they had it handled. Last year, I felt like the Eagles had it handled. Um, I did not feel that way about the Phillies until you know they started to get some momentum, and maybe the second series in, I was like, whoa, yeah these guys are going to handle their business. I haven't gotten that feeling yet with the Sixers. I'll be curious to see what the first round brings and if they can dispatch of whoever their first round opponent is with relative ease, maybe then they get their head screwed on. And they're like, okay, we've got this. Right. Right. I agree with that. Um, yeah. I think that that that's, I, that's exactly how I feel. Like I remember that second series, when the Phillies beat the Braves in the way that they beat the Braves, I yeah. was like, okay, like this is different. This now feels different. It wasn't a fluke. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Cause I was like, we're going to get rolled by the Braves. Um, and the way they came back against St. Louis and I, maybe it's a natural segue to what we're going to talk about next, but yes. the way they came back against St. Louis, they were down, they scored like six runs in that one inning. I was like, is that a fluke? Is that, and then they played the Braves and they were like, no, 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 nope go on back to Atlanta with your, with your apathetic fan base and your, and your uh, miserable playoff um, representation in the stands. We've yeah. got this. We're going to, we're going to take it from here. I was like, okay, these guys are going to handle business. Yeah. I think too, like when I remember when I, when I watched the Cardinals series, I thought maybe they like ambushed the Cardinals, you know, that was the best word I could think of was maybe they, we just, 
got hot at the right time. And that was it. And, and when I saw what we did to the Braves, I was like, oh man, this, this is like, these guys are legit, you know? And so, uh, yeah, it was fun, man. And, and so that is a perfect segue into spring training and our resident Phillies expert correspondent, uh, Mr. Oh, look at that going with the trucker My cap. spring training hat. I it's love fun. that. Man. Tell us about your spring training experience. You were there two weeks ago, correct? Yeah. Yep. Um, went down, um, first weekend in March and first time I'd ever been to Philly spring training. It was very cool. Great experience. I know we've talked about this before, but just got an opportunity to take my daughter make some memories. Um, she, she's not going to listen to this, so I'm going to, I'm going to say it, but she was very enamored with meeting Bryson Stott. I -hmm. think it has as much to do with his physical appearance as it does with his baseball uh, prowess and uh, all dreams were fulfilled as he signed an autograph for her. It was a really cool week. But um, that being said, you know, it was just kind of hope springs eternal in, in February and March as it relates to baseball. And I'm excited for the Phillies. I, man, I can't, I'm trying to temper it, but Health is a huge obstacle. I don't know if you saw like Ranger was yeah. uh, had some forearms stiffness and then uh, the, the the biggest prospect painter had some had some forearm tightness and you're like Ugh. That, that's yeah. a, usually a precursor to um, Tommy John surgery but health notwithstanding if we can I, I think we've got a good shot. I like the team. Some of the guys are already mashing. Uh, Alec Bohm hit the ball hard. The, the the game that I saw him play, he hit the ball hard. Um, get a couple guys that can evolve their game up. Stop being one of them. Uh, cuteness quotient to the side. Um, I like what they're I like what they're doing. I mean, have you watched any of the spring training games? I've watched a couple. The ones that I haven't seen in person, I've watched a couple on TV. Yeah, no, I haven't. I haven't seen any. I've read like a ton of coverage on the athletic and on uh philly sports network um as well and so so i want to hit on a couple of things one is uh my boy boom um they said he's bulked up like did he look noticeably big i know he's been hitting well in spring training and i have really high hopes for him but is he noticeably bigger is he driving the ball more now or he's he's definitely he definitely hit the ball hard when i watched him i watch him take some bp in the cage and in the one game, he uh, he hit a home run. It was a freaking bullet. It was a seed to right center field. Love it. Um, he's so tall. I think we forget how tall he is. So to just look at him, he doesn't look like he's put on a ton of weight, but he's also really tall and lean. So it might be hard to, to, to show. Um, so they actually played the Tigers when I was down there. And Matt Veerling and Nick Maton. We played for the Phillies last year. Obviously, we're on the Tigers. And I looked at Veerling, and I was like, whoa, Veerling is jacked this year. Mm-hmm. Found out he put on 30 pounds of muscle. 30 pounds, whether it's all muscle or not, I guess. Is, it <laughs> looked like it was all muscle. Bohm, just because he's got such a different build profile, it's hard to tell, but he hit the ball hard. He really hit the ball hard. Man, that's um, I love hearing that. What about uh I have a lot of questions for you. I'll try to keep it quick, but uh Trey Turner, what were your kind of initial impressions of him in, in uh Philly's red? 
I've never seen him in person before, and he's much more slight than I had anticipated he would be. Mm-hmm. You see him on TV, but um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to to glean too much from spring training. The guys are really just out there trying to get their abs, especially the guys that are playing in the World Baseball Classic. Yeah, um, I'm confident that I think our infield defense is going to be a little bit better. Um, I don't know if you saw the quote from Stott. I'm not picking on Stott today, but one of the reasons I really liked him, they asked him at the beginning of, I guess it was at the beginning of the spring, uh, Topper said, what do you prefer, shortstop or second base? And I think it was it was before they, they signed Turner, and Stott said, I prefer major leagues, which is like, hey, man, you, you want to you make me the short fielder? I don't care. Right. Um, I love that. I think he's really good. You know, he's pretty solid defensively. He sees a ton of pitches. I don't know if you noticed it, especially in the playoffs last year. Stott was a tough out. Yep. He set the world on fire with his batting batting average, but he, he sees a lot of pitches and he's a tough out. So anybody that has a grasp of the strike zone is, is a tough hitter to get out. And so if I'm looking at guys and, we talked a little bit on text about, you know, anybody ever played fantasy baseball? Not that they necessarily directly correlate, but one of the things that you're looking at is what's the walk to strikeout ratio? Does this guy have a, a grasp of the strike zone? If he does have a grasp of the strike zone, it kind of goes back to that Billy Bean philosophy where um, let's hit strikes, let's get on base. And I think Stott's not ever going to be like a 320 hitter for the Phillies, but I think he could be a 260 270 hitter with, with a with a 330 plus obp or 340 obp yeah that would make him a really valuable player especially if he can play decent defense so bohm we'll see if he can step his defensive game up this year but i feel like um can't have a gold glove at every position but but right. turner is going to be better than dd um stott's going to be um, a good good second baseman you still got Butcher in, in Reese at first base, but, um, you know, maybe the days that JT's not catching, he can play some first base. We'll see how that goes, but. Right, right. I feel defense is going to be better. Can, you know, maybe Derek Hall can relieve him too. I know he's going to be a big DH, but. Derek Hall has been hitting the ball in spring training. I think he's got four or five home runs already. Um, That's awesome. Has he hit any, because he struggles against left-handed pitching, right? I mean, so all those guys, you know, the sample size is really small in the small in the in the spring, but we'll see. I mean, if he can come in and do some situational hitting or be on the 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 uh, the good side of a platoon for somebody who's going to rotate in at DH or rotate in at first base, um, I would love to see it. Especially if I don't know if you know Hoskins kind of is going to do what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I would put him in a straight platoon, but I would definitely give him some days off and, and put a lefty in there. And um, you also improve your defensive hall place yep. first base because love Reese, but good God, man, that guy's got some cement ass. <laughs> yeah, he's like Tyrone Hill from back in the day. Um, what about um, the the bullpen? I want to talk about the bullpen a little bit. This is a bullpen that has been revamped and I mean, just fireballer. And I read the other day how um, 
that uh, the Phillies pitching coach is really focusing on teaching these guys how to throw a cutter, um, which is exciting. Uh, so like what was, how did in the game that you saw, like, I, again, it wasn't a safe situation. I get that, yeah. but like, did you get to see Kimbrell pitch at all? Like, what were your impressions on some of the I guys? I didn't. I watched him pitch a little bit in um, practice. Mm-hmm. So we went to the complex. We watched the practices before the games. The guys that were not going to play, you know, took batting practice, took infield. Um, they were still practicing all the way up until game time. Saw a couple of those guys pitch. I think what it boils down to is if you think about the Phillies where they were, what, three years ago, bullpen was a flipping weakness like it yep. was like i gotta hope the starter can go eight and um somebody can come in and just not give up three runs now i think bullpen is a strength we'll see how thompson uses them i personally think that kimbrell is well past his prime i think he is a complimentary piece to the bullpen mm-hmm. i think he uses um sir anthony will probably get the majority of the high leverage work whether that's the seventh inning, the eighth inning, or the ninth inning. I don't think you're going to see a straight closer out of the Phillies. Okay. Um, but Kimbrough can, is still a professional pitcher. He knows how to pitch. And he still throws hard enough that he can get guys out. Um, so do I think Kimbrough's going to be a guy that gets you 35 saves this year? No. But I don't think that's what they're asking him to do. And that's sure as heck not what they're paying him to do. Right. He needs to come in be consistent, get outs when we need them. He may come into a game in the ninth inning when, when the Phillies are up by two or three runs um, because Sir Anthony's probably going to pitch the inning before if the you know they have two guys on base and time runs at the plate. You'll see Sir Anthony then, you'll see Kimbrell after. I don't think Kimbrell's going to get you know the nail-biter situations. He'll get a couple, obviously, but that's the plus they've got, you know, they've got Alvarado coming back. Um, they've got some guy, Brogdon's going to come back. They've got some guys that can get, can throw the ball. Soto too, right? And Soto. Yeah. They just signed Soto and all those guys throw heat. Yeah. All those guys are throwing heat. 95. Soto is close before too. So he's going to be an interesting addition. Yeah. How, how difficult is it to do this bullpen by committee? I know as a fan, it, I'm old school. I like, I like my Steve Bedrosian. Uh, I just like my closer, you know, my Al Holland. Like I know my guy who's coming in, my my Lidge, um, you know, who's coming in, who's locking down the night. Wayne Gomes. <laughs> not. Uh, add that to one of the first round busts. Um, but you 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 get the vibe that they are going to go with this like bullpen closer by committee kind of approach, right? And, and the the other part of that question is going back to Kimbrell. Is it hard for a guy like Kimbrell who has closed most of his career to then adapt to being like an eighth eighth inning or maybe like um, a situational type of, of reliever? I think you have a luxury of having four guys at least who have closed before. You've got Soto, Alvarado, Sir Anthony, and Kimbrell. All those guys have closing experience. They may even have another guy or two on the roster. I think they're all going to get put in high leverage situation, situations and you don't want to be in the position where Sir Anthony has to pitch every day because right. he's the only guy you trust or Alvarado has to pitch every day because he's the only guy who's left-handed who you trust. Um, so I think it affords the Phillies the ability to space those guys out, 
maybe give them a little bit of rest, but they're all going to pitch in high leverage situations. I don't think you're going to see Brogdon coming in to get the ninth if you've got a Kimbrel available. Right. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I think they're going to have enough opportunities to stay sharp. And if anything, from a, pan, a fan's point of view, it's going to be a little bit less predictable because it's not going to be like, you know, cue the wild thing music because here comes Mitch Williams. Yeah. Um, but it will be more entertaining from a fan's point of view where you're like, okay, we've got a couple guys that can do the job. And if Alvarado's having an off day like he did in the playoffs during the regular season, you're going to have a different guy you can go to or right. let him get a couple days off um, and adjust from there. I'll be, cu- be curious to see how it goes, but from a fan's perspective, I would much rather see them win some games comfortably, be able to bring in guys in the right situation versus just seeing the same guy come out there in the ninth inning, regardless of what the situation is. Yeah. Any, any uh, young players who grabbed your attention, whether it be any of the three young pitchers, I don't know if Painter got, was hurt, but by the time you got there, but you know, him, McGarry, or. Um, I saw other- McAble pitch McAble, in a yeah. game. Yeah. Smoke. The guy's yeah. throws. He was, I think he hit 98 on the radar gun with almost every pitch he threw. Oh my gosh. That's exciting. I mean, these guys are just, just throwing complete heat. Now, do I think Abel's going to be on the team this year? I don't know. I probably wouldn't rush him, especially unless you need him. But it was exciting to watch. Like I watched him throw. You've been to a ball game and you're like, oh, that guy looks like he's throwing pretty fast. Or you look at a guy and you look at the radar gun and you're like, no way I thought that guy was throwing 92. Like it just looks slow going up there. Right. The ball jumps out of his hand. It jumps out of his hand. Like it's like that catcher's mitt. I'm sure Garrett Stubbs was back there rubbing his hand when it was all over. He throws hard. And I've heard that he can go. I was talking to one of the old timers at the complex. They've got a couple young kids that he said can really bring it. One kid through 100, and I can't remember even what his name was, um, younger kid on the farm. And he said, they threw 102, but, the, you know, they weren't sure the radar gun was right, so they're not going to count it officially. But <laughs> they've got some young kids that can throw some heat. And I watched Abel pitch. The ball jumps out of his hand. I wish I could have seen Painter pitch, but um, Painter's only 19. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't mortgage his future for this year. So Agreed. I hope that doesn't turn into a Tommy John injury. Yeah. What do you think about the rule changes? Have you read about the rule changes? And I can tell you what I saw. With the, you mean more than the, like the shift and the uh, pitch clock and and the balk stuff? Yeah. I mean, so what was the, what's the balk change? I I didn't necessarily see the balk change, but I saw a couple balks get called in spring training and I couldn't figure out what triggered them. That's my, um, well, that was, hold on, that was, wait, hold on. I want to finish off this question. And then that's my next question. I only have a few more left. Thank God. No, this is so interesting. But of the young guys, you know, like Dalton Guthrie, right? Like maybe I should say new guys, right? Because, because Clemens isn't, isn't old, isn't young. He's a new guy, but like these younger guys who are like fringy, Scotty Jetpack still hanging around, hitting some homers here and there. Anyone that, and I love the able intel it's awesome is there anyone that 
like you walked away with and you're like, I'm going to, I'm kind of keep an eye out for this guy. Like, you know, Brandon Marsh or anybody who you, you thought. I think Marsh has some upside that we have not seen yet. Okay. Um, I love the way he plays center field. I think his defense is not in question. I think he can provide more offensively this year. Last year, he was kind of a zero offensively. Right. When he hit 230, 240, something like that. Yep. Not that average is the be all end all, but I think he's got the ability and he's got the body. I think he was only 24 last year. So if he's not 25 yet, he'll be 25 this year. He can hit for a little bit more power. And I think he can get on base at a better clip. So I like that. I saw Clemens play. I mean, I, do I think he's ever going to contribute to the Phillies? No. Yeah. Okay. I think he's organizational depth. Yeah. Um, Scotty Jetpacks, I saw him play twice. He got a couple bleeder hits, but do I think Kingry is somebody we could count on this year to round out the roster and be a contributor? No, unfortunately. I think yeah. if somebody gets hurt and you need someone to come up and play serviceable defense and, uh, you know, get on base and maybe steal a few bags, sure. But or come playoff time, maybe you use him as a pinch runner or somebody who could come in and uh, be a defensive replacement or a pinch runner to steal a base or score when you get a when the when the runs mean the most. Unfortunately, I just I don't know what happened to him. He just looks cooked to me. Yeah. Well, his contract I think ends this year, so uh, this is the last year of that deal. Um, so the rule changes. Um, so I have, um, so the bulk, the bulk change is if, if I remember correctly, uh, I think you are limited to two throws over to first base and on the third throw, it's an automatic bulk. Um, I, I am, I, I, you're not going to like to hear this. I don't think, but I am all in favor of like maintain the tradition that you can, but I'm okay with the pitch clock. If it like I, the game needs to be like sped up a little bit, like yeah. they, they, I saw something on Twitter. It was the funniest thing. It was like a spring training strikeout occurred. Did you happen to see this? It was like some guy struck out in the same amount of time as a World Series single pitch took place. No, I didn't see that. It was amazing. It was. It was like. It was like I want to say it was like eighteen or twenty-one seconds. Um, and it was like, just ridiculous. Even like, um, Costas during the clip of the world series was like, and you know, he's finally going to get into the box now after doing all this, you know, but, uh, so I'm, I'm in favor of things that speed the game along. And then again, you're going to, you're going to, you know, I'm like the anti for saying this, but I, I like the fact that there's no more shift. I never liked the shift to begin with. I know it's a strategy. Um, I just like to see uh, players. A short, I like to see a shortstop on that side of the field, along with third baseman. Like it's just different strokes for different folks. But that's that's my perspective. What about what about yourself? You saw it firsthand. I did see it firsthand, and the, my first takeaway is all the games were two and a half hours. Wow, that's amazing. I was blown away that it was. Now, are you make cool that. with that? Uh, I'm cool with it because to me, it didn't feel rushed as a fan. Like I wasn't watching the game, looking at it going, oh, wow, this felt rushed or that someone had an undue advantage. Mm-hmm. At the end of the game, I looked up at the at the clock and was like, kind of like, holy shit, it only took two and a half hours. We saw 19 hits, 
like 14 runs, eight pitching changes, and it was done in two and a half hours. I feel like that's only going to be a good thing for the game. Mm -hmm. Um, I think where we'll settle in is somewhere between two and a half and three, right? which is better than three and a half and four Mm -hmm. because most of the pitching changes happened in between innings. So you didn't stop the game. Right. Um, They're trying to like see people. So there wasn't a lot of situational um, changes either defensively or from a pitching perspective. They just kind of let guys figure it out. And if they give up two runs in spring training, well, then they give up two runs in spring training. But um, I did, did you see what Scherzer said about, he thinks that it will end up ultimately being an advantage to the pitcher. No. Uh-uh. That, especially if you think of a guy like Scherzer who knows how to pitch, um, not only does he have incredible stuff, but he's pretty smart in the way it attacks hitters. Yep. He ultimately thinks it's going to be an advantage for the pitcher because like I can, it's one more way for me to screw with the timing of the hitter <laughs> where if the, if the hitter has to be in the box facing the pitcher at what, eight seconds. Yeah then he's like, I might let the ball go right away. If the batter is facing me at 12 seconds, I might let the go ball the ball go right away. If the batter's in the box facing me at 12 seconds, I might hold the ball all the way down to one second. He's Interesting. Like, I'm going to throw the ball when I want to throw the ball. Not only am I changing speeds to mess with the, the pitcher in terms of what pitches he's throwing, but I'm going to change speeds on him in terms of how fast I deliver the ball. So ultimately he thinks it's going to be an advantage for him. That's interesting. Uh, It'll be, I'm curious to see how that will play out. You know, we'll see. I don't know whether he's just saying that in the media to play like mental hopscotch with the pitchers, which if he is like, that's, that's playing chess when everybody else is playing checkers, but yeah, it's um, Greg Maddox uh, style of, of approach there. You know, I, I said it to my daughter you know, we're watching the we're watching the game. These guys are all pumping, you know, 97, 98 up on the board. Um, and I'm thinking back from when we were watching guys throw throw baseballs. If they were throwing 92, they were bringing it. Yeah, I know. Maddox was throwing like what 88, 89 on his fastball. Yeah, yeah. Of course, his changeup was probably like 71, which is why guys would just look silly half the time. But yep, every guy that especially that comes out of the bullpen throwing heat. And one thing a guy I forgot to mention was Matt Strom. Mm-hmm. Matt Strom's a lefty they signed this year. No yeah. lefty in the pen. He's another one. Ball just exploded out of his hand. He was throwing 97, I think. Now, uh, what, he's been around for a while, though, right? He's not a young guy. Uh, I would guess he's probably around 30. He okay. um, He had a certain level of success with the Padres as a starter, but he just couldn't stay healthy. Um, yeah. And then he transitioned to the pen and was relatively effective. I don't remember who he played for last year. I don't think it was the Padres. I think it was like the Blue Jays or something like that. But um, guy threw us hard. He's big. Um, just another – and it's nice to have another lefty that can come in. Uh, he's 31. Just looked it yeah. up. That's awesome. He, lefty coming in throwing 96, 97 miles an hour. Forget about it. What about your uh... – Look who's back, man, from the, in the supply cabinet. Um, Just checking in on us. Yeah. Um, tell me, last question for me is, is tell me about like that experience, what it was like to go there, experience it with your daughter, like uh, have her probably watching her fandom grow right before your eyes, right? And, and like, 
you know, I, I think that was probably so special. And maybe you guys make it like a, a regular occurrence, man. I know it's not it's not cheap, but I mean, going to games is pretty cheap once you're down there. I think it's just getting down there. Yeah, I, and we've talked a little bit about this, just the connection that that sports brings you with your children. Like my my son is texting me every day about which eagle got signed, which guy is getting cut. Um, she grew up with me being her softball coach. And so she understands the game. She's always enjoyed the game. And we started going to the Phillies games, you know, as soon as she could walk, you know, four years old or whatever it was. And it's just something that she has just like really caught on to. She watches every Phillies game um, without fail, you know, on her own. If we're not watching together, she just watches on her own. She watches in her room. Um, and so it was so special to be able to take her to the World Series last year, get to see her experience the excitement of seeing the Phillies, and then, you know, just to see the way that she rooted for the Phillies. And then I, I know I told you, but as part of her 16th birthday present, some of her friends are like going to Greece, and some of her friends are, you know, getting brand new cars, and she's like, I want to go to spring training. And so we surprised her. My wife and I surprised her and she, and then my daughter and I just went and made that happen. And it was just, she was just so wide-eyed down there. She loved every second of it. Now your kids are not as old as mine yet, but having teenagers, they're not exactly what you would call early risers, right? <laughs> so we get down there and she's like, I want to get up at eight o'clock. I want to be at the stadium at nine. I want to be able to walk around and see the minor leaguers. I'm going to bring, uh, we gave her baseball for her 16th birthday. And she's like, I want to walk around and see if I can get some signatures. Obviously she reserved a special spot for, for Bryson Stott on that ball. Um, but to answer your question, man, it was just so cool. She hung on every pitch and it's something that I'll remember for the rest of my life. Hopefully every time she sees that baseball, she'll remember that time we spent together and um, I am looking forward to taking her to a couple games this year and just kind of making that be like our, our thing. So that's awesome, man. That is it, so awesome. You're going to give me your, I said, I wasn't going to cry. I'm not going to cry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm like interior eyed over here. Was Bryce there when you were there? I know he just recently We missed him by a couple days. I think he came the following week. Yeah. Um, yeah, but we did get to see Schwarber and, and JT and, um, Turner and all those guys and before they disappeared for the baseball classic. Yeah. Um, which I'm not a huge fan of, by the way. Yep. Meaning as much as I like baseball, meh. Um it's mid at best. <laughs> um, but it was nice to see those guys before they took off. So we had a great yeah. time. And Wheeler and Nola. I mean, we didn't even talk about those guys, but those guys are horses. And uh, you know, I mean, I could I could spend two hours asking you about spring training, but but we'll, you know. Well, I think we'll, we'll probably, uh, you know, end it there. Although I do have to give a shout out to my boy, Garrett Stubbs representing Israel, which I was like shocked about, like he had a bar mitzvah apparently. And so he's representing Israel. So, and they Playing made third a, base. Yeah. Yeah. They made a, uh, they made a nice little run, although they lost to the Dominican Republic, I think last night. So that was, or maybe it was two nights ago. I don't know. That was disappointing. And he got hurt and he got sent back to Clearwater now too. So, um, he and Ranger are both back, um, from the WBC, but I agree. I, I hate the timing of it and it's uh, not feeling it. Um, 
last last uh sports topic here is, is uh and this will be quick for me any thoughts on the brackets i haven't even looked at the brackets it's, this is the first time in my life i haven't even looked at the brackets and it's rolling running. the dice i have no yeah. idea yeah i mean i couldn't i mean i know you know some of the favorites like alabama and houston and and uh maybe gonzaga is another but yeah i don't even know i think purdue's up there but they're there look like they were injury they have a big injury so i don't know i mean I, we should have had b train on but this would have been like a three-hour show we'll have to bring him back on for the sweet 16 here's uh, there was one interesting statistic i'll see if i can find it um that i did hear about the tournament but honestly man like you i, I just don't know that much about it this year yeah, uh, I've been so busy and have not um, had a chance to really dive into it. The the one thing that I did read, though, in advance of the tournament was. Um, I'll send it to you when I can actually find it, but and I'm paraphrasing. But it was the upshot was that. Basically, every team that has won the tournament within, I'd say, like the last 20 or 30 years. Mm -hmm. had a certain defensive rating and a certain offensive rating above a certain point. So you know, like all those Ken Palm ratings and all yeah. this other stuff that comes out. Yeah. Um, I think you could do analysis to paralysis until they play the games. You don't really know, but it was an interesting statistic. Now I'm pissed off. I can't find it, but <laughs> um, it was just something that was, it was insightful. And, and I can tell you the teams that the guy specifically called out as soon as I can open my DraftKings app, that, that is not an advertisement, by the way. Um, <laughs> if anything, it speaks to my degenerate gambling nature. So it was Creighton, UConn, UCLA, Bama, Kansas, and Houston. Those were the teams that had met this certain defensive threshold and certain offensive threshold. I'm going to write this down, yeah. When I find out what it actually was, uh, I will send it to you. But it was some sort of standard metric that they're tracking, and it. it's for both the offensive and defensive end. Wow. Wait, Houston, Bama, Kansas, UConn, did you say Creighton? Creighton? UCLA. Got it. Okay. There's uh, seven of my – or that's my uh, six of my elite eight right there. Um, I haven't <laughs> even looked at the brackets. They probably play each other for all I know. Um, but I will. You know, I've tried everything every year and I always fall short. Like sometimes I'll have a year where I, I like, I've ended up third before. Uh, I think I've ended up second, but I've never, I don't know that I've won, but I don't know, maybe most of the time I'm like at the bottom. I think I'm going to do like, let my kids just pick this year, like, and, and explain them how you do it just again, as a way to like use gambling to get them interested in sports. We usually do one in the house. And I remember when I was a kid, my mom used to get like a poster board and we would draw out the bracket. We would all pick the games and we would track it for the length of the tournament. I think they would just thumbtack it to the wall, if I remember correctly. That's so the, the, you know, I just remember doing that as a kid. It's something that we did it. I had my kids pick a bracket online last year. Yeah. Uh, and then whoever was the winner gets to choose where we go out to eat. Um, knowing that it's most likely going to be Chick-fil-A or something ridiculous if <laughs> one of them win, but. I love that idea. You know, maybe what we'll do is like when the sweet 16 comes around, maybe we'll are the, or the elite eight, maybe we all get two teams and then whoever's team wins it all. Like we'll do something like that. Um, I don't know I, any way to get them involved. I'm all for it. So I'm in an interesting pool. That's the format I thought was kind of cool where you get, uh, you pick 10 teams and you can pick 
uh, one team from each seed level. Okay. And then you count up the total number of victories. It's just kind of a oh, different way cool. to do it. Yeah. Whereas with your number one pick, you can only pick a number one pick or higher yeah. or lower, right? For your second pick, like if you decided you wanted to pick a number two with your first pick and a number two with your second pick, you could. You just can't pick a team that's higher than that number, right? So yeah. with your sixth choice, you could pick a seventh round team or you could pick an eight, an, an eight, an eight seed. Sorry, uh, I said round. I meant like an eight seed. You yeah. just couldn't. You have to pick a six seed or higher. And then you pick 10 teams and total number of wins wins the pot. Oh, that's pretty cool. I like that. A little spin, a little fresh spin on something. Little spin, little spin. You don't have to pick the whole bracket out. Also gives you some lower seeded teams to root for while you're watching the first couple round games. So, right, right. Oh, Got to pick right. your 12-5 upset. Right. If, yeah. I Someone said earlier today, or maybe it was yesterday, that they they think that this tournament is sets up for, uh, there could be four 5-12s or 12-5 upsets. So we'll really? see. Yeah. I think Charleston's got a, a really good shot to upset yeah. in the first round. From what I've read, the other ones I just don't know that much about. And then I heard Kent State is is like ripe to beat Indiana. Like I've heard a lot of people. I think those two play each other. And I think that I, that's the matchup that I've heard that is looking to be a big upset. But by the time this thing airs, uh, the tournament will have already started. So all this dispensing of advice is not going to help anyone. <laughs> it's my favorite. It's one of my favorite sports weekends. This yeah. weekend and next weekend, I just think it's it's great. It's everything that's right with college sports. Yep. And I don't know why in hell the NCAA can't figure out how to do football in a similar fashion. Uh, don't get me started on that. Although yep. it does play to the benefit of the Georgia Bulldogs, so I won't I won't stump too hard. <laughs> um, but it's just you know it's fantastic. I love rooting for the upsets. My bracket be damned if if a twelve is going to beat a five, I'm pulling for the twelve. Um, I just, I just like to, I root for chaos more than anything else. I just think it's fun. I mean, this time of the year between NFL free agency, NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, you got the masters coming up. You got NCAA tournament. You got the start of baseball. I mean, it is truly like the Great most time, of year. time of the year, you know, it's so much fun. And then even like with the flyers sucking now they're tied for the fifth worst, uh, record in the league so you know they're finally going the right direction so we'll see maybe the and the nhl lottery is going to be may 8th so that's another thing to throw in you know coming up you got you know the kentucky derby i mean this as the weather starts to turn like everything it's like foot on the gas i like love this time of year it's awesome so it's a fantastic time of year have you ever been to the masters by the way no my i've been to augusta my, my family there but i've never I dropped that that not so subtle hint this year at Thanksgiving. I told everyone that I had never been to the Masters, and um, I would like to do that before I die. But I guess nobody thinks I'm dying this this year, so you know I'm not going. Have you? I've I've been lucky enough to go a couple times, and it is it's definitely a bucket list thing. You got to do it. Are you a golf fan, or are you just like it, is it one of those things that transcends? Uh, I am a golf fan. I'm less of a golf fan um, than I used to be. I just don't have the time to dedicate to too many sports. I'm it's bad enough that I'm a, obsessed with baseball and football and basketball to a certain degree. Um, I do like golf though. And I've been to a couple of professional tournaments and it's so cool because golf is so much different than 
a lot of these other sports where the access level is like you're separated by a rope between you and Tiger Woods or you and the best players in the world. And watching them do what they do just puts into perspective how freaking hard golf is if you've ever yeah. played and you've ever thrown a club like I have maybe once. Um, <laughs> that one time. That one time that club went into the woods and it was really hard. <laughs> And I have a putter on the bottom of a pond in New Jersey someplace too, but um, it's so hard and these guys make it look so easy. And um, the access level to professional golf is just different where you can be like, you're basically in the field of play. It's, it's cool. It's uh, a different experience than watching it on TV and Augusta it's cleaner than my house. Like you could just, you can eat off the fairways. It's ridiculous. That's amazing. Go. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Ah, I love to hear that dude, Rich. Thank you, man, for joining us for a thank you for having me. It was a good time, man. It was great. I can drill questions your way all day, man. It's like a lot of things. So we appreciate you being here. Lev, man, we appreciate you tuning in from the supply closet and uh, <laughs> putting us at, at risk of uh, litigation. And it's like slick Rick Mellon in that uh, when he called in the album from jail, that's like that, <laughs> that's that today. Yeah, he recorded. Yeah, that's right. Didn't Tupac do that too? Didn't he record an album in jail or something? I don't know. But he's still we'll alive. To, he's still putting out records. Dude, he still is, man. But we'll have to uh, get an attorney just to make sure we're clear there. <laughs> but uh, all right. At this time, we will kick it and we will talk to everybody next week. Rich, thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. We can do it this time. Sometimes I don't speak right, but then I know what I'm talking about.